0: And uh, So I, I did some research Well, not really research I did a lot of digging on your page <laughs> And one of the things that I was really curious Is that, well, this is kind of serious So you had a cyst operation while abroad And how did you find out about your condition And, you know, the experience of having it removed And, you know, the support system If there was, or I'm, I'm sure you need Like someone to actually look after you When
1: that happened Basically, I thought that I was just like getting fat <laughs> because Central Asian food is pretty oily and they would fry everything. Like every food that I get was fried. And I'm like, okay, maybe it's just the oil. And I'm not really this skinny type, you know? Like I'm not like super slim. I was a bit chubby. So I mean like feet chubby. But um the thing is. I thought that I was just getting fat. And because we are raised in a fat-phobic society in the Philippines, it's like ah, bahala. like you're just getting fat. So I had that mentality like, oh, I'm just getting fat because of the food. And apparently like a lot of people from live streams, a lot of people noticed that it was just in the tummy. Like I was just skinny in my arms, like everywhere else. And then it's just on the tummy. And I was thinking, no, I'm not pregnant. I can't be. (laughs) Like, And it was like, I started to have these pains. So when I started to have these pains, I was like, okay, no, there's something definitely wrong. I was at the time volunteering for a school in a language institution. And I asked my fellow teachers to help me. And one thing that you should know about Kyrgyz people that they are so incredibly helpful. They're one of the most hospitable people in the world. And I absolutely am so grateful to them. So I asked my coach, teacher Kanike Egypt to actually accompany me to ultrasound to check what's happening with my belly and at first they thought that there was like a balloon like my liver was not working so they thought it was the liver and there was no way to get it out and that I had to go home so it kind of led me to being a lot depressed again because it's like what the hell I would have to go back home and quit my journey just because I had this something uncontrollable that happened to me and uh, apparently, it was not my liver. We asked for a second opinion and we found out that he was like a specialist with this this liver stuff, that it was not the liver, but the ovaries. And he took one look at it and he said that it was too late for the drugs because you can take drugs and it will go away because the ovaries too big. And either you go home, you have the surgery right away, but it's also a risk because it might rupture any time now because it's really big. It was 20 kilograms and it was already... Like bursting, but can you imagine that I didn't know it was growing in me? I was carrying about ten to fifteen kilograms and hiking. It was summer season, so I was hiking with fifteen kg and I was carrying a twenty kg. So in total, I was hiking with thirty five kg up in the mountains of like I think two thousand plus meters above sea level. So my doctor was telling me like, um, with all these ovarian cyst patients that I've seen in my life, you're probably the strongest because you are. Are doing your physical activities while some are bedridden. So towards the end of this, I was also bedridden. I couldn't even go to the toilet, <laughs> and we already knew that something was wrong and that I couldn't take a flight anymore. And I also refused to go home. My family urged me to come home to actually be with them during the surgery, but I was thinking that no, it would not make a difference if I would do the surgery there than here. So I decided to do the surgery in Osh, Kyrgyzstan. I'm really thankful for Samara Eje, um, Eje means sister. Um, Samara, one of my sisters, she found that hospital that found that it was the ovarian cyst and that's part of the liver. And this hospital offered to do the surgery for such a meager price of 25,000 pesos. I was hospitalized for a month in a private room, including food, including all the drugs that we need. About a month, I was in this hospital and it took quite a while to heal because this was super big and i'm apparently a really small girl so the skin was taking too much time to heal to stitch up it took Two weeks for it to fully close. So I couldn't leave the hospital for two weeks. And the last week was for just recovery. As for those who are watching, I'm if they're ever listening, I know that they speak mostly Russian and Kyrgyz, but I would like to thank Barchinay, Burulai, Baku, and all the people from Sekum Osh because they were the ones who were watching over me. Um Bar-China, she was like my real sister in this country. And she was the one who was taking me to toilet, who was changing, like helping me to change my diapers because I couldn't stand up. Burulai, she was the one who helped me to stand up, not painfully, who asked the nurse, because when you get the surgery in the middle of your belly, you it's difficult to stand up. Like it would really hurt and I would cry and want to die. I would really cry a lot just because I couldn't stand up. So imagine like you used to hike all these mountains, but you can't go stand up. You used to be able to climb all these things and you can't even climb a set of stairs. And it would hurt to even cough, you know, to even breathe like... <clears throat> Like that, it would really hurt. Because sometimes you get clogged up because of the oxygen and stuff like that. And you have to remember that disease actually caused, like, my lungs to be pushed up so my lungs kind of shrunk and a lot of the air would be clogged in my throat and everything was really messed up it took a while for me to also recover and these girls they were always watching over me they were bringing me food everybody in Kyrgyzstan even my students that I befriended, they were bringing me lots of food (laughs) they were bringing me my favorite iced tea (laughs) because we had like these nice iced teas there and they were bringing me kefir even my nomadic families in the mountains when they heard that I was hospitalized they brought me all these milk products because according to Kyrgyz people that you will be stronger if you drink and consume all these milk products after an operation so she brought me a lot of like yogurt kefir all these things and Everybody was just so caring. So even though I was at a foreign country, everybody was just looking after me. Even my doctor, Ruslan Akka, he was speaking English. He's been to a lot of countries before. So I was really lucky to find him. And their hospital is family run. Everybody in that hospital, Mary Meje, Baishbek Akka, from the people who were cooking in the kitchens, they were all watching over me. So in this time where I had no family, I found this family. I think this is a testament that uh, people are really, really kind you know that even if we are not related to them by blood even if we barely know them they would look out for us and for what a price of nothing
0: the way you treat or or you look at people it's amazing how positive you are in Thinking that a lot of people are nice, because I'm somehow the opposite of that. You know, I'm I'm guilty of not trusting people. Maybe I don't know why, but I just don't seem to be able to trust people that easily. Especially nowadays, you know, when I think everybody just want to take advantage. But it's really good to hear from you that we can trust others. You know, that they are not all bad. We can take a chance on them to prove that they can be your family as well, even though they're not your blood. Maybe. Maybe I have problem with my own family that I don't trust other, you know, if your relatives is a problem and I take it as they are my own blood and they can still be mean to me. So how come the other people can be nice to me? I guess I think like I don't deserve nice people in my life.
2: <laughs> but I, I agree with what she said about you will be surprised how helpful people are when you're in mm-hmm. need and actually one of my closest foreign friends is Kyrgyz and she's amazing i was telling her that i'm surprised that she can get my sarcasm because my sarcasm is dry and she can get that and i don't know i feel like we are so compatible in terms of the way we talk and all that and she's really like a sister and you were right that you'd be surprised how nice people are. When I was actually in that darkest moments, and I was somewhere abroad, I found this family. I, I stayed with them. And funny thing is that there were times that they would leave their home to me because... <laughs> We already have that bond, you know? So yeah, of course, there would be bad situations, but there are tons of great people out there as well. So let's move on to the next one. When coronavirus started, where were you? It's
1: difficult to pinpoint when coronavirus started, right? But when the lockdowns, were set in place I think let's start from that so I was actually in Kyrgyzstan in Bishkek visiting my friends we were supposed to actually renovate the hostel and stuff like that for quite some time and I was catching up with a lot of friends fellow travelers fellow adventurers who were also hitchhikers campers and stuff like that advocates of alternative travel I would say and it was really funny because it was announced that March 15 was going to be locked down and the Kazakh border would close and I had been in Kyrgyzstan for like nine months for this surgery and my visa was also ending because I only applied for a 30-day visa and I'm like oh shit I have to go somewhere and it was we were lucky that Kazakhstan suddenly issued like free visa before coronavirus so I was able to cross the Kazakh border but there were no more transportation because 12 midnight the border would close and it was only announced at 6 p.m. so I was given like about six hours to get to the border which was pretty easy because it's one hour but remember it's at night so less people would trust you I found two cars to actually take me to the border one took me like halfway through and another was going to another city and told me like okay we can drop you off the border directly we'll pass there because we understand that it's like really tough times so I managed to cross the border to Kazakhstan where I got another three three thirty 30 days so at least I was like, complacent about it because, okay, I had one month to figure out the situation rather than two weeks. It was better than nothing. And Kazakhstan announced that they would be suspending all penalties after two weeks, like, after the two weeks that I was there. And I got stuck there because, number one, I didn't really want to go home. What would be the difference quarantining in my home as to quarantining there? There would be no difference. It would be still the same measures. I would expose myself to different types of this virus because I would get on a plane on different transiting areas. So I would even be more exposed as to staying in Kazakhstan. And there were no flights to the Philippines that were direct. There were always transit and transiting was a problem back then. And I had a plane. I had people there, so it was okay. And I found that, you know, I should probably either wait for a repatriation flight, which never came. And until I found this opportunity to go to Ukraine, so apparently, like, Kazakhstan had resumed direct flights, I found an opportunity to Ukraine, and I think everything just clicked. Like, I believed in this school, I loved uh, their way of teaching, and it was also, like, they would fix all the documents, and it was nice, because I really liked my decision
2: to go, go here. Like,
1: I love Ukraine so much, so <laughs> it was really good yeah
2: that's great next up because you mentioned about the visa and all that how do you process your papers when you travel abroad how how do you apply visa i know it it varies depending on the country but how do you deal with that
1: the million dollar question for third worlders <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but like, I know if anybody from white western countries are listening, this would not be a problem for you. So, basically, this trip, I don't think somebody has actually done it from the Philippines. I don't know, I have no idea. We nobody has documented it so far, but this is a very unusual way for us to travel. Number one, because it is not easy to do it, and it's not because we're not we can't hitchhike, we can't trek. It's not because we're not we're not like avid campers, you know, but because we have visas. That's the first thing that people should also realize why this journey matters is because very few people attempt to cycle around the globe to do these land border crossings because it's difficult for us. And I deal with visas as much I I can barely even deal with it. I have a lot of visa anxiety. I, I really hate facing bureaucracies, I hate facing immigration, passport control, I hate border crossings. I I absolutely hate it because um no matter how much requirements that you meet at the end of the day, you're still a Filipino and these people are still subject to racial biases, to prejudice. They are still under the guise of stereotypes. And even if you meet all these requirements, even if you're a genuine traveler who makes a sufficient amount of money to be able to sustain herself in this country, you can still be branded as otherwise. And for me, the first thing that I deal with is first uh, thorough research as to which countries I can apply for. I really want to cover as much ground as I can on this trip, like to go everywhere. I Like e visas because e visas apply, like, require us to provide less documents. And uh, so far, for all the countries that I've been through, I didn't have to go through hoops to provide my income. I only like experience it now as I'm transiting through Europe. And basically, it takes a lot of research, it takes a lot of strength because you have to have a good understanding of how these processes work. You have to be ready for it. Sometimes I plan six months ahead. So, for instance, in Schengen, about these bank statements, you plan six months ahead. For instance, I also ask people to write letters. For like, okay, I'm going to host her. I'm responsible for her because they really do help a lot. You know, like, okay, she's not going to spend everything there or she's somebody will make sure she's not an illegal immigrant there something like that. So I go for it both ways. I have help from people and I also try my best. So a couple of problems is that, number one, sometimes we're not allowed to apply in a different country because we're not residing there. And it's a big thing for me because I'm hoping that I will be able able to cross to the Schengen area because I have a temporary residence here in Ukraine because of my volunteer work, because I'm staying here a long time. And I hope that it will be sufficient enough for them to consider my application to go on a vacation to Schengen and then come back here and also i have problems when it comes to inquiries like when i inquire for a visa like people usually tell me that my visa inquiries are invalid some people even just straight up hung up on me twice i was denied the right to even apply for a visa to particular embassies for example the kyrgyz embassy in tajikistan they told me like can you even afford kyrgyzstan when kyrgyzstan is actually cheaper in the philippines imagine three pesos for five pieces of cucumber come on and azerbaijan they also denied me the right to apply for visa because they keep telling me you can you're eligible for e-visa i am not if you looked at your website i am not and it's like no you can't apply for a visa right now because you're asian and that was before corona it's like what why can i apply a visa because i'm from asia because it's like there's a coronavirus starting in asia You know, it hasn't been lockdown measures yet. It's like, and I'm like, I haven't even been to that part of Asia in years. And it was really frustrating for me because it's like, some embassies just tell me like, no, you can't like, you know, and for example, here, I asked the Georgian embassy. So remember, like when we apply for visas, guys, like, we have like, we we have a list of requirements. And sometimes they give like, how much salary you need, how much per day, like, for example, in Turkey, it's 50 USD per day. So I asked Georgian embassy, okay, so how much per day would I need? How much salary would I need to have in the bank account? So for me to know I'm eligible. And you know, the response they gave me, they told me that show us your salary. And then we'll decide. And I'm like, okay, so even if I make sufficient amount of money, and even if I have enough budget to let's go, let's say on a seven-day trip to Georgia, if you see it as not enough on your subjective whim, you can still deny me a visa. So this is why I also think that these bureaucracies should not exist. Because as long as these are run by people, they still are subject to these biases against our race, against the passport we hold. And why should a mere document, define who I am, define where I'm from. Why should the stereotypes and the mistakes of other people affect who I am? And that's why like, for me, I really want this blog to succeed, not because I wanna get famous, but because I want to start a movement because I know that people from privileged countries cannot speak up for it. I, I think that we ourselves from developing countries have to start this movement. We have to take back power and we have to take uh, take up space in this sphere where it's always been catered to the white western privilege. So visas, they're really a hassle for me. I hate them. I believe in my ability to hitchhike the world. I believe in my ability to travel the world as a solo female. But what's stopping me are bureaucracies, are people of power, the same people who actually took the power from us.
0: I hear you. I've been there. Georgia, same thing. I've been there. I mean, it's just same situation. But I want to talk more about, because, you know, I really understand that the struggle of getting visas, because we all Filipinos been there. But the problem is the people taking advantage of the country. So let's say in Taiwan, they give us visa free. We can stay there for 30 days. But why do Filipinos, why we Filipinos keep on running away and stay illegally? And then, of course, that gets in the record. I mean, they do that. And people like us, responsible travelers, get the consequences. You know, we are the one who's struggling. Let's say Thailand. Thailand have no restriction, really. Like, I mean, they can visit most of the countries. Why? They don't overstay. Think of Singapore. It's the same thing. They don't overstay. So now the countries like Europe, in Spain, there's really a lot of illegal stay. They get tourist visas and then they don't come back. And why do we do that? Insight into this, it's that, that I think we shouldn't actually blame the same people who have
1: done these illegal works. Yes, they've made a mistake. But also we have to look at it in a bigger picture. Like, why are people staying illegally in developed countries? The first thing is that in the Philippines, we have no basic social services. We have no accessible basic social services. We don't have free education. Our jobs pay meager wages compared to high GDP countries. Our healthcare... Is not accessible, or if it is accessible, we have like really bad services. We take a long time to be processed, and you know, you would die before you even get healthcare. So, basically, these things the housing, the, the living costs, and um, its get, prices are getting higher, but wages still remain the same. And I would not blame these people for seeking another opportunity in life. I mean, that's why some people don't come back home, even travelers. We don't want to work in a Philippine landscape. Just because we get paid less, we get treated as shit, and we don't get what we deserve. And it's not totally the fault of people who stay illegally, but it's also because, look, if you get that ticket to get out, and if you see this beautiful country with all these organized things, with all these benefits, with the big salary, it looks so shiny, and you have to come back to your home, which which is decrepit, a hole of blackness, and like all these things that are... With you, like you have meager wages, you have a really bad house where sometimes electricity doesn't work, and you have these streets that are dirty and stuff like that. We can't blame. And just simple
0: internet. Yeah, yeah, but we we can't really blame them for doing that, taking that road. Yeah, but the problem there is like a person, a, a person like you is now struggling to get a visa just because of those people. You know, like me, I, I'm not going back to Philippines in the next ten years, twenty years. I mean, I go there for a holiday day but I will not live there because I see a much comfortable life here but doesn't mean I will take advantage of the Spanish law you know I will not do any bad thing here to put a bad image to my fellow Filipinos you know if I could find a way to stay legally I would do that and the problem here is it's just like a domino effect one person you know of course they judge us a lot it's like okay you're from Philippines what you will only do here in Spain or in other countries is you will stay illegally which that's just how they judge us. And of course, it's nice if that will be changed. And that's what you're doing right now. You want it to be changed. Yeah. But we, it's, it's a long process. Yeah,
1: it's a long process. And also, I think it goes both ways. Aside from our country providing all these basic social services for people to have not reason to even go outside of the country legally, if we have all these benefits, I think that we would be like, oh, it's nice to live in the Philippines, you know, and also it goes both ways for also for these developed countries to be more open to the idea of immigration. We are not taking away your jobs. We are doing the jobs that you actually refuse to do. So these borders would be more accessible to people. I think that it's also a good opportunity because, oh, it's easy to apply for a work visa. We don't have to pay a lot of money to be able to have a better life to be able to have a better salary and if these things are more accessible and it doesn't take a huge amount of paperwork or legalities or even like uncertainties because you can have all your paperwork sorted but still get denied I think that people will not stay illegally they would be more like oh I can do this legal process there is no bias in it I think that the idea of borders is just a, a way of gatekeeping people for opportunities for learning. We've become so protective of our lands. And most of the time, like we don't actually recognize why these inequalities are set in place. It's because of like history, it's because of like decades-long colonization, superpowers, these kinds of things on a bigger scale. Like we've become so protective of what's ours that they don't realize what is theirs is theirs because they took what is ours. So This is exactly why I'm really like very passionate about this. It's because we were, we did not choose where we're born. I mean, we choose to come out as a Filipino with this bad passport. No, everything that was set in place right now is a domino effect, as you said. Not because of one action, but the actions of many. So
2: yeah. I can really sense that you are fired up. And listening to both of you is really interesting because coming from two different perspectives, which are actually both correct, and it's really a matter of people, like, of course, it should come from us to really work towards what's the best for ourselves. And I know we are doing everything for our families to have a better future and all that. Everyone has that goal in their mind. And that's really true. We we should have the freedom to choose where we want to live, what kind of life we want to live. And it's a long process. And that is something that we have. We always have to think as our goal moving forward. Right. And not really living in our own bubble it's really a way of working together towards having a good future for everyone and if you're gonna look at it and realize are the foreigners going to our country having the same bad experiences when they go to the Philippines no right and that's the thing not because our government is lenient I don't know or they're not really doing a great job. That's a topic for another session. But at the end of the day, as we are talking about travel, really have to be responsible because people will get the effect if we are not responsible travelers, regardless of what nationality we are. Really have to be responsible because we may not get the impact of what we are doing, but someone else does. So let's move on to the next one because visa, you know, the challenge, you mentioned a good point when you said that it's really challenging for Filipinos to get visa, including the digital nomad visa, because there's a lot of online freelancers from the Philippines, but they're not open to the idea of the digital nomad. And as I researched regarding this visa, it's really quite painful for Filipinos because they would require the amount of salary that we are not Getting. So that's also like, you know, a double edged sword. So moving on to the next one is have you experienced racial harassment?
1: I think the fact that I have to actually get these visas and be subject to these bureaucracies is
2: already racial
1: harassment. Uh, I think we can all agree to that. Because, like what I said, the people who are manning these embassies' borders, the people who are in immigration control, they are still subject to these racial prejudices, the stereotypes against Filipinos and against Asians in general. So, yes I have experienced it a lot and mostly I have experienced it in these institutions for example I got to Ukraine and I have all the paperwork sorted basically my NGO is paying for my housing paying for my visas everything they provide me with a volunteer stipend so that I don't have to spend my money here and I have all this sorted out it's uh, really said in my visa that I'm here for volunteering and they still ask me for proof of income as a Filipino and I'm like i I I told them I am not required to provide my proof of income because here it is stated that I have like all of my paperwork sorted out, that I am volunteering, they will be giving and providing, they have it in their letter. And I think that's already racial discrimination in itself because if I was white and if I was from a privileged country, they would just say "Welcome to Ukraine," whereas it's it's not the same for us. Crossing the border to Thailand, I traveled with a French guy. He got away right away, and he just passed the border. Whereas I had to show show money, and the border officer asked me, "Are you going to work here? Why are you returning to Thailand for the third time?" So it's already racism, even from our own like race Asians, you know. So we can also be racist towards our. Own race, to be honest, like these kinds of things. It always happens. Aside from that, I meet white travelers who view me as an object of exoticism. You know, like, look, I'm 24, and I, I'm at the peak of like this stage where I'm dating these kinds of things, and people usually just want to hit on me because I'm from a country that they haven't heard of, or like because they have yellow fever, which I absolutely hate, like Asian fever. You know, like they love girls like one time i was in myanmar with a group of travelers and like a german guy just told them, like okay we have people from poland from austria from germany from america oh and we have this one exotic addition to the bunch i am not a fruit i am not an animal and i really hate being labeled as exotic because like it it's kind of like you know wow unsealized like wow like from some place I've never heard about why can I be like the same have the same credentials as that white people that you introduced earlier and it was really offensive so these are like yeah the racial discrimination that I've Experience like especially during COVID times, like when I was hitchhiking to Kazakhstan from the Kyrgyz border, this guy looked me from head to toe, and just because I look Asian, assumed that I was Chinese, and he was like, "No coronavirus," like that, and I'm like, "Okay, what the hell? I'm not even from China. It's really offensive to even say that I'm from China. Do you know that China's occupying our territories? (laughs) So it's like I can't even understand. So yeah, and microaggressions—they happen every day. I walk on the street and people from Central Asia would say namaste or ni hao it's
0: very offensive the worst thing is ching chong Chang. I've had that video of me walking somewhere in north of Spain mm-hmm. uh, I think it was in one of the, the vlog I had and they always think I'm Chinese and that's like offensive I laugh at it at that time but no I don't find it funny at all no, but for me I really fight back
1: <laughs> I mean I, I, do, I, I don't take shit that's one of my rules like don't ever take shit like people call me like how and i can speak longer so for example here like they say nihow or namaste i tell them yani and hindi yani kita ya filipino and then like uh, they would be like oh they would understand it means like i'm not indian i'm not chinese i'm from the philippines so i would say that one like these kinds of things like i would always retaliate to them and they would be surprised that i can hear them in their language sometimes i also understand like when they're talking about me like one group of i think ladies they were asking me like what's this brown girl doing here something like that like i think it was in kazakhstan and i immediately understood and i told them in russian like hi i'm traveling here so uh, if you're going to talk about me and if you are going to be offended because i was calling my friend like i was speaking in our language and if you're going to be offended by my language just shut your ears like cover your ears to go to another place because anybody can call and i see that there's another girl who was kazakh and she was talking on the phone and she was okay like nobody was bothering her but this lady was bothering me and even sometimes in the banks by the way like um i was in osh kyrgyzstan and I wasn't allowed to withdraw dollars from the bank. And they harassed me. They even sent two guards to, like, like take my arms, you know? I bit one of those guards with my teeth, and I need him in his ball sack. And I told him, like, why are you, like, doing this? Like... I have a passport. I have everything. Why are you not allowing me to take money from this institution? And I remember because I had so many Kyrgyz friends, I was really lucky. We had a complaint to that bank and the lady who was at the cashier's desk got fired for her job and she had to pay a fine because of racism I even recorded like this video I haven't published it or something like that I don't know and they weren't allowing me just because I was brown and then I see a German traveler like cycling he was able to withdraw money and it was not fair because (laughs) come on just because I'm brown I can't take money yeah so it really happened in Kyrgyzstan I even have like the pictures of these guys in my phone still safe and we really took it as a complaint they didn't know that I have quite powerful friends in the city and it was really terrible for them So the lady got fired and I got the justice that I needed. (laughs) The first thing is that when you encounter these kind of prejudices, please take no shit, guys. (laughs) That's a thing, fight back. Don't be afraid to, like, you know, fight back, really. Because it's not right. You don't have to stay silent. And we cannot keep being silent because the more that we become silent, the more that they push us back. For so long, we've been so oppressed. It's time we have to take back the power from them, yeah.
2: Actually, I had the same experience when I was in Thailand. I was living there. For a few months, and I was buying fish for my lunch. And of course, I had to speak English. And then the vendor, the the lady, she talked to another vendor, and I understood what she said. She said that why I'm talking in English when I'm not Australian, my nose is not like them. (laughs) You know, we have the Pinoy nose. And my skin is not white. And I was like, really? From a vendor on the street talking shit in front of me. So I spoke to my friend in Tagalog just to retaliate. And I really said bad things against that woman. And I looked at her like, why? And I realized, I found out that Thai women, mainly, they are very discriminatory to people who have darker skins. That's not the only instance that I've experienced racial harassment. But anyhow, that's really challenging for us women because apart from the sexual harassment that we are, you know, in danger of, we can also face that racial harassment. And that's why conversations like this is important. So we can freely talk about it and have this kind of avenue, you know, to really share our experience and learn from it and how we'll be able to improve the experience of other travelers as well. So that's that. And we're actually close to the ending of our conversation. Almost, almost. I just want to know, how did you end up in Kiev? And where is your next destination and why?
1: Actually, I'm not in Kiev. I'm in Ivan Kiev. So it's a town west of Ukraine. I, I hate capital cities. <laughs> so it's the first thing. I hate big cities in general. <laughs> so I live in a city that's like an hour from the mountains. So it's really nice to be here. I ended up here, yeah, because of this volunteer opportunity, because of something that I believed in you know, and because like it also sorted out the paperwork, because as you know, we get a lot of offers for jobs, but they don't sort out the paperwork. So this is what I'm also talking about, about the illegal stuff, you know, because as long as bureaucracies don't have like accessible means, as long as employers are not willing to provide the legal paperwork, there will always be an illegal immigrant. So for me, I saw this as like, okay, it's a good opportunity to work for something that I believe in and to still be responsible traveler to minimize direct contact. And I traveled to here because I wanted to go forward and not back. So I'm already in Europe. Um, next destination right now, I'm waiting for my visa to Moldova, the least visited country in Europe. I want to be able to explore and to actually get to know its people. Like I know that it doesn't have a lot of touristic sites as much as I can, but... I want to make a lot of content there and I'm deciding whether or not to go like Schengen or Balkans or Caucasus. So I have three options to go. I'm trying for all of them. At the same time, I'm trying to get into a digital nomad visa, as you mentioned. I have my own ways to do that. I'm trying to go to Malta. They released this recent digital nomad residency permit. So I'm trying to target that, Malta or Croatia, because I really, really want to live next to the sea. <laughs> I've been living next to the mountains for about two years now, and I think it's time to switch like to different climates. So yeah, my next part would be Europe, and after Europe would be Africa, and we will see if I will take a break. If not, I will go straight to South America, and hopefully to America.
2: Big plans. We're about to close. The last question, what are your tips for women who would like to try traveling solo like in terms of budgeting in terms of safety and all that
1: so I think with budgeting I think it comes as I think it's for general not just for women but I think that's everybody who wants to travel we all have our own travel styles you don't have to hitchhike or couch surf or camp if you don't want to spend money. You don't have to do that. You don't have to look for free travel all the time. You don't have to do it. I think that before you set out to your travel, you have to know your travel style, how much risk you're willing to take, what do you really want to do, what do you want this travel to contribute to your experience as a person. So we all have our own different paths. Some people like to backpack, you know, staying in cheap hostels, eating in restaurants, that are not very expensive going on budget tours this is okay some people like to go all out you know like yeah I'm gonna go and spend all of my money I worked hard on this and that is okay I just think that depending on your budget depending on what outcome where you want to go you have to be prepared you know you have to set a budget for yourself you have to work hard for it, you have to know how to sustain yourself so that you can also be a responsible traveler. You need to be insured. That's one thing that I learned also. You need to have these insurance. It's really, really useful. You need to have a decent amount of savings in your account in, th- in case things go south. You need to be able to also have like people you can trust, people you can depend on to help you back home in case there's something. And to always call your embassy or if you're staying for a very long time. So for budgeting tips, ways that you can travel and save a lot of money is number one, to say no to things that you don't need. Like something that I learned from my trip, I live off a 50 I think yeah it's probably 55 liter backpack you know and I have the same clothes for two years now I change clothes only when I need to for example my winter jacket has a tear I have to repair it or I have to buy a new one if it's really unrepairable you know ditch things that you don't need the thing is we're in this capitalist consumerist society where we think that hey let's buy this even though i don't need it it's flashy it's nice hey let's buy the new iphone even though my iphone still works we have this mentality where we need the newest the flashiest the nicest when in fact we have to focus more on our needs than our wants so i think it's important if you really want to set out on this kind of lifestyle to be able to travel long term or to save a lot of money in general i think we absolutely need to say no to things that we don't need being a traveler also means that you're a minimalist i want to buy a lot of stuff i love folk art. I love carpet, but I don't have a home to decorate the carpets with, you know. So I don't buy them because I don't need them yet. I just want them to weigh always these needs and wants. So that's the first tip if you're budgeting. It also comes as a traveler, you know, do I need this experience or do I want it? Will this help me understand the culture or do I just want it? Do I really need to go to that temple or do I just want it for the gram? You know, we have to weigh our needs and wants and what we want to make up for our life. I think we should have a goal, a vision of what our lives outside and inside travel should be. So it's a good budgeting tip. And number two, like if you really want to have budget travel, there's a lot of ways. Um, Explore alternative traveling. So the first thing is, for example, staying in cheap hostels. We have a lot of like $1 options, even like $3 options, you know, like if you are willing to let go of luxury, travel is affordable. I mean, travel is really affordable. Comfort isn't. That's the thing. You're paying for comfort. So if you are willing to seek discomfort, then it's okay to forsake these things. Um, Number two is, of course, you can take cheap transport. You can also try other ways. For example, cycle touring. Cycling is free. Of course, you get to camp. You have platforms like warm showers, you know. Couch surfing is a platform for everybody who wants to stay for free in a house, to have a cultural exchange with somebody what else? Um, camping is definitely for free, but a designated campsite or do wild camping is for free. Staying in nature is for free. Nature has provided us with everything for free. You can even get free food if you know how to forage. The next is, yeah, hitchhiking. I would definitely recommend this, you know, if you know the risks that you're going to, if you're confident about yourself, if you wanna learn a lot about locals, if you wanna learn their stories and to see the country from their perspective, recommend it. If you're nervous to try it alone as a woman or either as a man, if you don't feel safe, you can find buddies, you know. There's a lot of people in couch surfing. There's a lot of hitchhiking groups on Facebook. You can contact anybody, even locals. They actually love to hitchhike sometimes. I met a lot of locals hitchhike with me. And you can try all these alternative ways. You can even try volunteering, you know, volunteering for NGOs, and they would pay for your accommodation, pay for your visas, pay for your flight. So, there's a lot of ways. Some people work long time in one country to be immersed in it. For example, people who work in the Schengen zone and they get to all these 26 countries for free because they work there. So there's a lot of travel styles where we can go on a budget, but we don't have to spend money. We just have to spend time researching them and getting to know them. So I think it's all about that. Yes, we were not born with much, but the best thing that we can do is to have a good strategy to be able to actually overcome these things that we don't have yet while at the same time working for these
0: things so that we would have them in the future so yeah so in like based on everything the tips and all the most important part is research
2: true that would save you not only time but also money because you were able to plan it ahead Mm -hmm. so yeah that's it guys we reached the final stage of our conversation i had so much fun i had and we learned a lot yes even though we've been traveling for quite some time now we, we've learned something new from this young lady over here so if you want to know more about her and her travels and all the experiences you can follow her facebook page that is kristen And she's on youtube as well yeah yes
1: i'm everywhere and, and another advice for women who want to travel like me be unafraid be unapologetic you do you Okay, just don't be afraid. It's time that we take back our power from those who have taken it from us and be it in travel or in life. So yeah, you can find me also on Instagram. It's Kaladkarin. (laughs) K-R-Y-S-T-E-N-K-A-L-A-D-K-A-R-I-N.
2: Yes. So we will also put that in the description of this episode. So once again, thank you so much for joining us and listening into Where the F. Am I heading? See you. Bye. Bye. Bye.